Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to the first, the debut episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And I want to thank each and every one of you so much for joining me on this first episode of the new pod. Um, for those of you who don't know me, what are you doing here? How did you find me? <laughs> but uh, no, like I said, I'm Gerald. Uh, I'm an NBA writer for The Step Back, a sports editor for Fansided. I've been a Suns reporter since 2014. And uh, I recently had another Suns podcast. And uh, I'm really excited to start this new project with my employer and the network that, you know, where all my MBA writing shows up. So this is kind of an exciting merging of worlds for me. For those of you who listen to the other podcasts, thank you so much for following me here and for listening and for your support. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, this show is going to be pretty similar to that one. It's going to be twice a week for about half an hour, mostly a solo show, but we're going to have a lot of fun guests from you know, Suns Media, NBA Twitter, fan-sided, just all over the place. Um, and I think it's going to be great. We're going to mostly talk about Suns stuff, but we're also going to touch on other topics like entertainment because, you know, I like to think or at least hope that many of you listening to this have been responsible like me and mostly staying home for the last year, which doesn't give us a lot of options for a social life. So I, I always enjoyed binging TV shows and movies and that's, that's gone double for the last year with the pandemic and everything that's been going on, staying home a lot. So when there's not stuff going on, I've usually been watching whatever TV show everybody's talking about, catching up on stuff. So I like to think that many of you are in the same boat as me. And uh, I'm excited to not only talk about Sun's stuff every week, but also, you know, the latest trend, the latest craze in TV viewing. Um, you know, we'll talk about The Bachelor. We'll talk about WandaVision. We'll talk about 30 Coins coming up. But for today's show, we're going to mostly talk about the big topic in Sun's land right now, which is DeAndre Ayton and the conversation surrounding DeAndre Ayton. And uh, we'll also touch on the Suns' new starting lineup a bit, and then we'll close with a little bit of, of WandaVision talk since Episode 3 just dropped. But, uh, you know, we, we got to start with Ayton, obviously, because he is the story in Phoenix right now. And we're not going to sugarcoat it. It's been a rough start to the season for Ayton. You know, his scoring numbers have gone way down. And whether you thought that was because the Suns weren't doing enough to get him involved on offense or he just was being too timid, I personally lean towards the latter on that. But no matter where you stood, it was easy to see that Aiton was not having a great start to the season. It wasn't what people were expecting when the Suns traded for Chris Paul. And I personally never understood a lot of people making Aiton their pick for most improved player. You know, the, the dude averaged 18 and 11 last year. His numbers probably weren't going to increase as much to get him MIP consideration because they typically just look for that giant stats leap. But, um, you know, 
he wasn't having the breakout season in terms of impact or numbers that a lot of people were expecting playing with, you know, this big man whisperer like Chris Paul, who has really helped to the careers of guys like DeAndre Jordan and Clint Capella, these rim running threats that Aiton could easily, you know, follow in their footsteps as such an athletic, big, strong guy. Um, so it was kind of weird that we were approaching this make or break moment for Aiton's season and his psyche in general after just 11 games. And and part of that is the on-court performance, but also, you know, then you've got Dave Pash from ESPN coming on the Doug and Wolf show with Arizona Sports saying, you know, the Suns looked into trading Aiton over the summer. Now that kind of thing you got to take with a grain of salt because when it comes to trade speculation, the language can be a bit unclear sometimes, you know, for all we know, that could just be other teams doing their due diligence on Aiton. That could be the Suns doing their due diligence on a star player and Aiton's name coming up as the centerpiece of, of the return package. Um, we, we don't really know what the circumstances around those quote unquote trade talks were, but you know, when you're having a rough start to the season, when you're facing expectations for the first time, when you're already playing under the strain of being the number one pick that was not Luka Doncic, it would have been easy for that type of report or rumor to really, you know, mess with his mindset and really tank his his ment- his mentality. But instead, Aiton responded in a way that was just truly incredible. Um, on Monday against the Grizzlies, he put up 18 points, 16 rebounds, three assists, one block shot 7 of 14 from the floor and 4 of 5 from the free throw line. And, you know, you just look at some of the plays that he makes in that game. Like, he he catches the ball down low in the post with, like, three guys around him, and normally he would just kick the ball out to a shooter. But instead, he puts the ball down low on the floor where no one else can reach it, carves out space with his body, and goes up and just one hand dunks it where no one else can contest that shot. That's the kind of assertive play that we don't see him make as often as we would like to. Um, and that's that's not even including, you know, Chris Paul kicking it to him. It was near the start of the second half. Chris Paul gives him the ball on the block for a, a post-up opportunity on the undersized Xavier Tillman. And Aiton just whips around him and throws down this wraparound one-armed dunk for an and-one play. And the bench just loses their minds. That's the type of thing that we don't see often from him. It shouldn't feel like this watershed moment for a guy that's built the way he's built and and blessed with his God-given abilities. But it really was a jaw-dropping moment, no matter where you stand on your expectations for him, because those are plays that he doesn't make often. And when you see him make them, God, there's a very small number of people in this league or even on this planet that can stop him when he when he plays like that. So, you know, after that game, Chris Paul said that they're not going to let up. You know, they've been on his case, but they're not going to let up and they're hard on him because they know what he can do. And I'm going to keep challenging him to be that. You know, I think everybody on our team is so hard on him because we know what, he, what he's capable of, you know, and. To, to be one of the greats in our league, you just you just have to have consistency, and he's more than capable of it. So you hear a quote like that, and you realize it's only been one game, and it's fair to question 
if this time around is different because we've seen Aiton put together great performances before, but the thing has been sustaining those, those performances. And, you know, I can't say for certain either way, but for Devin Booker's part, he said he thought this felt like something new. We've been on him. Um, I think it's been some footwork things um, and him knowing, you know, how dominant he can be, you know, and I think he, he's seen last night. And I think last night was, was turning the page for him and noticing, you know, what, what he's capable of. So that was at shoot around the day after the Grizzlies game. And then on Wednesday, the Suns played the Houston Rockets and Aiton not only followed it up with another great performance, but he actually built on it and had an even better game. Uh, he put up 26 points, 17 rebounds, three assists, three blocks, shot 11 of 15 from the floor and a perfect four of four from the foul line. And, and that game included perhaps the finest four minute stretch of his career. Um, you know, it, it started with a post-up basket on DeMarcus Cousins with way more dribbling than he ever showcases. Um, according to NBA.com, that was only the second basket of his career that came on seven or more dribbles. So this is a guy that's not typically dribbling a lot to create his own shot, even in the post, because, you know, it's not the 90s where guys just are dribbling, 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 hook shot. Like, um, game has obviously changed, but that's what started it. And then he has this alley-oop from Chris Paul out of the Spain pick and roll that, again, brings the bench to its feet. And then he's got back-to-back blocks on Boogie and Eric Gordon at the rim, their layup attempts. And then he's got a long two-pointer. His foot was on the line, on the three-point line. It could, it should have been a three, but his foot was on the line. And then he gets his dunk off of a feed from Mikael Bridges, uncontested, wide open, you know, the type of thing that we expect Aiton to flush. But... What's scary is watching that stretch and watching that game as a whole, it all felt sustainable. He wasn't playing outside of himself. He wasn't having like the game of his life. He was having a great game, but that was scary because it felt totally doable on a night in, night out basis, which is something that we've heard Monty, Booker, CP3, and even Aiton himself acknowledge is that this is what is expected of him. This is what he can do on a night to night basis when he shows up to play like that. Like Booker brought it up again. And he's been saying this since Deandre's rookie season, like he's been telling Aiton, you know, 16 and 10 is cool, but you're good for 30 and 20. We see 30 and 20 out of you. And obviously, you know, he's not going to average that on a night to night basis, but these are the types of performances that, he makes it look so natural because he's not playing outside of himself. He's just doing the things that he can do every single night. And he's going to put up big numbers like this. And not only that, but have an impact on the Suns winning. He was the best player on the court for the Suns on Wednesday night in a win against Houston, where they almost coughed up a 20 point lead in the third quarter. So those types of things are really encouraging to see. And it's only natural to wonder when you see games like that, you know, what prompted the change? What prompted this turnaround? Um, obviously, with a week off between games, because the Suns had three games postponed due to COVID concerns, contact tracing, health and safety protocols, um, they had a lot of time to kind of stew on that bad Wizards loss that they ended their week with and then had to wait for a whole other week to play again. 
and in that time, you know, the Suns have been on Aiton's case this whole season since the start of training camp, pretty much. But they had an extra week to really let the message sink in and to continue hammering it home. And, you know, Monty and teammates talking to him about adjustments like his footwork, um, communicating through fatigue on defense is another one that DeAndre mentioned specifically. And, and just knowing that he can dominate, realizing when he has mismatches, when he gets, catches the ball on the short roll, and there's one undersized defender in front of him to just go up with it. Those are things that they were all working with him on over the last week. Um, and, and Monty also noted that it's not just, you know, guys talking to him. DeAndre's put in the work in the film room and in the weight room in particular to help with his durability, his endurance to play more physical and to play for longer stretches. Cause this is a guy who, you know, last year he averaged a career high. It was like 32.5 minutes per game. So the last two games he's played 35 and 36 minutes. That is around where the Suns want to see him. And a big part of that has been his conditioning and watching that four minute stretch against the, against the Rockets on Wednesday, it was very clear that his conditioning is in a good place and is allowing him to, you know, have those game altering stretches like he did. You know, Monty's noted that he's he's gotten better about his anticipation, about staying more disciplined on defense, that he's blocking shots at the apex of their shots instead of coming down and, you know, fouling guys. So these are all positive developments that come from, you know, his own due diligence of being in the weight room, being in the film room and learning. Um, you know, the advanced numbers don't really tell the same story that the eye test has stole, has told this season as far as, you know, Aiton improving as a team defender and individually. The Suns are actually 21 points per 100 possessions worse defensively with him on the floor. But, you know, whatever it was, that those combination of factors that are spurring this, this change that we've seen in the last two games, it's worked because in that stretch, he's averaging 22 points, 16 and a half rebounds, three assists, three blocks, he shot 18 of 29 from the field and 8 of 9 from the free throw line, which is a big one because he doesn't normally get to the line that often. But the best stat might be that he's had nine dunks over that two-game stretch as opposed to only seven through the first 11 games of the season. So, I mean, that's just kind of eye-opening right there. But the other part of it, the other factor that might not be getting talked about enough is that the Suns feed off of Aiton's energy, his two-way energy. You know, the bench reaction to his reverse dunk against the Grizzlies, Booker smacking his towel into the ground after Aiton's three that was actually a two, um, Mikel Bridges doing a damn haka dance on the sideline after CP3 threw that alley-oop to Aiton. Like, these are all tangible things that you can see have an impact. Um and listening to the post game, it, it sounds like this should be the status quo and, and that nobody was really excited enough about what Aiton was doing. You know, they weren't really celebrating him or, or heaping praise on him for having two back to back fantastic games. But, you know, that's that's kind of the reality of the situation. And there is something sad about a guy that's kind of playing under the strain of not being Luka Doncic. Um, you know, that he's not receiving that kind of universal acclaim when he actually shows up. It, it's kind of more of an exasperated, like, finally, 
than uh you know and and excited finally you know there's a difference there but that's that's the reality of being a number one draft pick and seeing those bench reactions the suns demand for and expectation of sustained excellence from him it's coming from a positive place like these guys are jazzed to see this dude ball out the way that he has to see him make those aggressive assertive plays they expected of him but all of this you know being on his case all the time and seeing it pay off is why we're seeing these types of bench reactions and seeing the ability that he has to alter games like that because it's contagious when you see the guy that you expect to go off that you want to go off but doesn't always go off when you see him actually do it it's impossible not to let that joy be infectious on the court. And I really do think that we're seeing that with the Suns, and we've seen it the last two games, the last game in particular. Um, the Suns want, and the fan base too, it's not just the Suns. Like, there's been a lot of talk about this Aiton conversation and how toxic it can be. And there have been a lot of people that have overreacted to people on Suns Twitter rightfully criticizing Aiton when he doesn't show up. But the Suns and their fan base want and need Aiton to succeed. There's no reason why anyone would not want him to succeed as part of this equation. So a lot of those people that had been rightfully criticizing Aiton for just not being locked in were among the happiest on Twitter last or Wednesday night when he just went off the way that he did. And that's great to see. Hopefully this is the start of something new and we can put this debate uh, debating, if you will. We can put the debating aside, but we've seen him put together big games before. This time it needs to be consistent, and that buzzword, consistency, brings us to our quote of the week this week. Now, I- I've said this multiple times this year, but DeAndre Ayton has handled himself so much better in interviews this season. Just hearing him talk about his role on the team, how guys are constantly on him, how he needs these guys to constantly be on his case, um, how his how his defense is now his focus. It's all incredibly refreshing to hear because this is a guy that has said a lot of controversial things, maybe not controversial things, but just kind of eye-rolling things, um, just kind of being unaware of what his game is, what his skill set is, what the Suns expect of him. This season has been completely different. And... After Wednesday's game, Aiton was asked whether he always knew he had these types of performances in him or whether they had to kind of be coaxed out of him. And this is what he said. This is the type of player I am as a whole. I mean, this is no surprise to me, to be honest. Um, It's just, you know, I think that we're having seen this type of play, especially when we're winning, you know, so, me, I'm not really worried about the hype or what people have to really say. It's just me consistently doing this over and over and over, you know, to where it's known and, you know, not second guess or doubted. So, it's just me on my end just to keep this consistency and this style of play. So, we already touched on the consistency aspect with Chris Paul, with Devin Booker. Monty has said the same thing about, you know, they expect this from him every night. But to hear Aiton say it himself is huge. You know, like this is a guy that knows what it takes. He's, he's only 22 years old, and that, that gets lost in the conversation a lot of the time because of what Luka Doncic is doing right now. 
and because expectations are so high for him because he can reach that ceiling, but he's still only 22 years old. So it's encouraging to hear him acknowledge that he recognizes the next steps that he needs to take and that the Suns are going to continue to be on his case to make sure that he does. Um, Let's go ahead and switch gears, though. Let's talk about the new starting lineup, because if you listen to my old show, you're aware that we've been on top of this as far as how bad the starting lineup has been. And it's, you know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. That's pretty much a thing with watching the Suns play. Anyone who's watched them play can tell the starting lineup has not been good. You at home could easily tell that the starting lineup has not been good. Anyone can. But the Suns opted to, instead of trying to continue to play through it after that awful Wizards loss where the starters just came out flat and pretty much game, gave the game away by halftime, um, Monty decided to make a change. So he moved Cam Johnson into the starting lineup where he's been for the last two games over Jay Crowder. Truthfully, I'm not sure how many of those problems this change really fixes for the starting lineup because the two biggest problems for me have been Aiton's lack of aggression, which the last two games he's been much better about and Chris Paul and CP three, for whatever reason, playing much better when the other is not on the floor. Those are things that aren't really affected by Cam Johnson or Jay Crowder either way. And Cam was playing great off the bench. Jay Crowder is a more physical defender at the four, a stronger guy. So I'm not a big fan of this swap personally, but through the first two games, the results have been there, albeit with a very small sample size. So the starting lineup, the original starting lineup with Jay Crowder in it, has played 195 minutes together this season. And they are a minus 25 overall with a negative 6.5 net rating. For those of you who don't know what net rating is, that's basically a measure per 100 possessions, how many points you are either outscoring your opponent or being outscored by your opponent. Um, so the Suns are being outscored by 6.5 points per 100 possessions with that starting lineup. The new starting lineup with Cam Johnson has only played 39 minutes together. So the first one, 195 minutes, this one, 39 minutes. And that's the next closest lineup of any Suns lineup this season. Um, but this new starting lineup is dead even in plus minus. They have a zero net rating, which is not a positive, but not a negative also. And, you know, curiously, they're only shooting like 30% from three-point range with that new starting lineup, which you would think bringing a sniper like Cam Johnson into the starting lineup would boost it. But um, part of that is just Cam and the rest of the guys haven't shot well in a two-game sample size, so that's not a big deal. But um, the thing to keep an eye on is the new starting lineup's defensive rating has been incredible. It's been a 90.6, but the offensive rating has also fallen off a cliff to 90.6. So they haven't really gained anything from it aside from just not putting themselves in a hole early on. And the key thing to watch for me is keeping an eye on the tempo because the pace has picked up. Um, the Suns' pace has increased from 99.1 with that first starting lineup to 105.9. So it's gone up significantly, and a lot of people on the Suns had pointed out that like maybe we need to pick up the tempo a little bit because they were playing at, I think, the second slowest pace in the league. Um, and a lot of that has to do with Chris Paul. But with Cam Johnson in there, the pace has picked up because he, and that's, this is something that Monty said was his goal, with that change is not only getting Jay in charge of the second unit, but 
the tempo picking up with Cam Johnson because of his cutting, because of his shooting, because he likes to get out and run and make plays off the dribble. So these are all things, you know, we can't attribute all of that to Cam Johnson. Maybe the Suns have put more of an emphasis on playing at a quicker tempo, but it is something to keep an eye on because it's hard to tell right now how much of that increase in tempo and how much this lineup change has impacted what we've seen from DeAndre Ayton the last two games. Maybe the increase in tempo is a good way to get him involved without, you know, force feeding him the rock over and over in half court sets like the Suns have been doing to start games for the most part. Um, But yeah, I, I think the Suns with this new starting lineup, will have to keep an eye on it. But so far we've seen more aggressive starts out of Devin Booker. We've seen the pace pick up and we've seen two back-to-back games where DeAndre Ayton played within himself and played really great. So I'm not going to say that the starting lineup problems are fixed. A net rating of zero is still zero, but it's much better than a negative, which is what the Suns were working with before. And they definitely have the bench to capitalize on that, even if that continues for a little while. I still think they're going to need to work out those chemistry issues. And I think Cam Johnson was probably better off coming off the bench and being that energy guy off the bench, but we'll see how it continues to unfold for now. Um, Cam Johnson also, we have to note, hasn't been quite as good in his role just yet as a starter, um, shooting 9.5 points, averaging 9.5 points per game. He's only shot seven for 18 from the field and four of 12 from three. That could just be two, you know, meh games for him, but something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, We're going to take a quick break and be right back after this. So for our final segment today, we're going to be talking about WandaVision. First three episodes are now streaming on Disney+. Plus. There'll be six more released on a weekly schedule. Uh, but before we do that, I want to hear from you. Write me a review. Let me know a couple of shows you're watching right now, the three shows that you've watched recently or are binging right now that you're enjoying. And who knows, maybe we'll get to them on a future show. I'm definitely going to go through those because I'm always adding to my list, so please feel free to let me know what you're watching right now. Um, WandaVision has been a very interesting ride so far, and it wasn't intended to be Marvel's first kind of dive into streaming these TV series, but it's actually working out well during these pandemic times, I think, because it's been so long since we've had legitimate Marvel content, and most of us are just chilling at home and we're like, yeah, screw it. Hit me with something different. Like, I'm going to be here anyway. Let's give this a chance. And so the first two episodes were, were probably a little bit weird for the traditional Marvel audience, just the way that they were basically an homage to 50s and 60s sitcoms. And then this week in episode three, we move on to the 70s. But it hasn't taken long for Marvel to kind of deliver on the promise of this really unique viewing experience Um, the way that it ties in these cheesy sitcom elements to these true breakthroughs in terms of pacing and plot and this just morbid sense that all is not well in this world that Wanda has apparently created for herself. Um, So, I mean, I I love the way that it mixes in that old-timey sitcom corniness of, like, I love Lucy and Bewitched, and and this week it's it's a Brady Brady Bunch tribute Um, But the way that it mixes that in with this kind of portending sense of doom, Um, like the show literally starts with Wanda throwing a a plate accidentally at Vision's head 
And he says, my wife and her flying saucers. And she goes, my husband and his indestructible head, which is just the most morbid joke you could make about a guy who had his head crushed in by Thanos uh, in Avengers Infinity War. And it's just little touches like that that really make this show interesting because it, it can come off as goofy if you don't get those kind of references because it, it's it really does pay tribute to all of those classic sitcoms. But it does it in such a unique way now where the walls are kind of breaking down in this this mental construct and, and physical construct apparently that Wanda has created. So um you know, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany deserve a lot of credit for being able to balance those, um, you know, this open love letter to those kind of sitcoms in their acting with the comedic elements, with, you know, these slowly sinking in realizations that something is wrong, that this isn't real. And it it makes for pretty riveting TV when the flip, when the switch flips, because you know, like in episode one, when they're having the dinner scene and the camera suddenly zooms in from these, you know, the typical old timey sitcom camera views to right in everybody's face at the dinner table while this dude is choking. And uh, Deborah Jo Rupp, who is, you know, Kitty from that 70s show, she's great in that scene because she's it goes from, you know, telling her husband to stop it when he's choking to basically pleading with Wanda to stop it like don't let this person die um and and it's very jarring when it makes that switch so suddenly because it you know the first two episodes are largely in black and white and there's like a a laugh track and everything so it's it comes off as very cheesy a little bit corny but then when it flips the switch it's like okay something serious is really going on here that we're not aware of what's happening um, you know, kind of like in episode two, Dottie confronts Wanda that she's weird or that her and her husband, they're, they need to be concerned about them. And this voice comes through the radio, who's doing this to you, Wanda? And then the radio explodes and Dottie bleeds her hand, the glass in her hand explodes as well. And Dottie bleeds in color and everything had been in black and white up to that other than this helicopter with the sword logo that she found on it. And for those who aren't aware the sword logo is uh, for an organization called sword, which is basically the cosmic or galactic version of shield. So it's basically an organization that these characters will be dealing with as, as Marvel kind of expands its scope across the galaxy. Um, But there's just a lot of these examples of things that, are building to something creepy and disturbing as far as what the reality of this situation is in Westview. Um, you know, in, in the second episode, they win the talent show for the children. Of course, they, the, the episode cannot emphasize that enough and we'll get back to that. But that phrase is actually kind of creepy in retrospect now. Um, but you know, at the end of the episode, Wanda is suddenly fully blown pregnant out of nowhere she asks if this is happening, like excited, and and Vision says, yes, my love. And then there's this thud outside, and they go to investigate it. And this dude in a full beekeeper costume with the sword logo on it again crawls out of the, the sewer manhole in their neighborhood, and Wanda just straight up says no 
and re- the whole everything we saw rewinds to a few moments before and she asks vision is this really happening and the second time she asks it there's this desperation in her voice like just kind of trying to make sense of what's going on and vision says yes my love again and then it basically just ends with them kissing and the world turns to color around them so it's very much seeming like Wanda has created this place where she can be with vision and and keep in mind, this takes place after the events of Avengers uh, Endgame. So she's kind of created this place where she and vision can be together. And it kind of adds this tragic element to everything that we're seeing because, you know, Wanda didn't have, a great childhood. She lost her brother as episode three reminds us. And then she lost vision. Her life has been nothing but, you know, basically warfare and people that she loves dying around her. So, you know, this is kind of a weird mental break for her after losing vision that she's created this world where she can have a traditional family life that she never had, where she can be with the man she loves and where she can, have children as we see in episode three um but you know for those who follow the comics there's a lot this episode opens the door to a lot of potential storylines um you know the first of which is this is probably opening the door to what i should say spoiler alert we're getting into spoilers for sure as far as things that could happen in the show so if you'd rather just be surprised and watch the show play out Maybe you want to skip the rest of this show. But if you are curious, there's a lot of theories online about where this show could be heading because, of course, there are. And the one character who seems to keep coming up is Mephisto. And in the comics, Mephisto is basically like the devil. You know, he lives in hell. And in the comics, Wanda does have twins who are actually named Billy and Tommy, just like she does in episode three here. Um And she basically realizes that these children that are created from magic are, they're not, they're just kind of constructs. They're not real human beings with souls. So in order to give them proper souls, she basically essentially makes a deal with the devil, Mephisto, and gives them life fragments. And then Mephisto winds up devouring those children to get those life fragments back. So it's, <laughs> it's very dark. And at that point, Wanda has a clean break and that could be what it's setting up for. Because if you take a look at her neighbor, Agnes, um, you know, people, she, she's, there's speculation that her husband that she keeps referring to this awful guy, Ralph is actually Mephisto. Um, people have pointed out, you know, things like when she says the, Uh, I think Wanda says the devil's in the details and Agnes says, that's not the only place he is. And then she said something about wanting her, wanting to make her husband disappear. And in this most recent episode, she said something about Ralph looks better in the dark. So these are all just kind of silly offhand comments that you wouldn't pay much mind to. But now that we have a sense that maybe Mephisto is coming into the picture, they are, they could be a really cool setup for, the next Marvel supervillain, which keep in mind, this show only has six episodes left and it's probably leading into Dr. Strange multiverse of madness. And we already know Wanda is 
Scarlet Witch is an essential part of that. We already know that Doctor Strange and Spider-Man are going to be tied together in the upcoming Spider-Man 3. So this is opening a ton of doors as far as um, these characters teaming up. And it doesn't look like we're headed for a happy or a concrete ending at the end of season one. And obviously that would be impossible to expect with Marvel planning to release all of these new shows and movies coming up. You know, there was never going to be a clean ending to this season one. And, and hopefully we'll get more seasons of this show because it's just so different, but we might not because it's, it seems like it's transitioning towards more traditional Marvel fare. Um, and there's a very good chance that by the end of this, Wanda could be heartbroken. She could be without her kids and she could be needing Dr. Strange to get her out of this, this place that she has created in, in her mind and in the real Westview, as we see in episode three. Um, and, and people have pointed out that Agnes, the neighbor, her necklace is similar to a character in the comics named Agatha Harkness. And, and she was a witch who helped Wanda harness her powers and wipes her mind after Wanda loses her children. Um, and she's also a kind of protector of the son of Reed and Sue Richards, uh, who are part of the Fantastic Four. So this all also opens the door potentially to the introduction of the Fantastic Four. And in the comics, Mephisto uh, also regularly battles not only Doctor Strange, but Ghost Rider as well. So there's a lot of potential with this storyline that they seem to be going heading towards. Um, but, you know, in episode three, again, the show is great at blending, you know, that kind of goofy sitcom humor with, you know, these revelations that there is something very wrong with this world. You know, we see it when vision starts to realize there's something wrong with this world. And then the screen like glitches and it goes backwards a few moments. It's not like in episode two, where Wanda basically rewinds the tape. It's it's different. It just glitches, and then it's back a few seconds from where he had been talking, and it basically, the conversation goes in a different direction. It, it feels like Wanda is steering things away from shattering this new reality she's created for herself. And when we see that later with the character, uh, quote-unquote, Geraldine, who we find out is a sword agent also trying to infiltrate this world that Wanda has created this, this different Westview um, because when Geraldine Wanda has a, a kind of breakthrough moment where she says, I had a twin while she's looking at her newborn twins and she remembers her brother and Geraldine makes the mistake of asking, you know, was he killed by Ultron, which we of course know he was. And Wanda turns so fast on that. And Geraldine tries to backtrack and Wanda sees right through it and winds up straight up throwing her out of the reality. And we see her fly through this sort of energy field. And then she's surrounded by all these sword agents, um, you know, checking on her or whatever. But um, in the comics, you know, we've already known this from casting news, but Geraldine is actually a character named Monica Rambo, who is you know if you remember captain marvel the little girl uh the daughter of captain marvel's best friend who was a pilot that's her so she's basically all grown up now she's apparently working for sword and we're not sure what 
We're not sure if Sword is trying to monitor the situation, if they're trying to save Wanda from herself, if they're trying to get her out of this. Um, we're not sure what Sword's intentions are, but obviously if you have someone as powerful as Wanda creating this different reality in an actual real place, um, this is the kind of organization that's going to be keeping close tabs on that. So episode three was really great. The show is shaping up to be something special. There's a lot of Easter eggs throughout and a lot of, of a lot of genuinely funny moments. Like the guy, the kind of the town dope named Phil has provided two laugh out loud moments with <laughs> in episode two, Wanda's trying to hide that vision is doing actual magic and she turns a real piano that vision lifts with his super strength into this kind of two dimensional cardboard cutout. And this dude, Phil just goes, that was my grandmother's piano. <laughs> and then in this, in the third episode, the power is going out because Wanda is going into labor. So she basically sets off the electricity in the whole neighborhood and his, uh, his wife, Dottie asks him, do these earrings make me look fat? And the power goes out and <laughs> Phil goes, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, There are some legitimately funny moments in the show, even though a lot of the humor is is obviously geared towards those old uh, homages to 50s, 60s, 70s sitcoms. So it's a very unique viewing experience. I'm enjoying it a lot so far. But episode three was kind of the breakthrough after two episodes of, of mostly set up as far as Okay, this is def. This story is definitely going places. Um, we're we're getting somewhere really good. So, I'm curious to hear what you guys thought what, about these first three episodes. Please let me know what shows you're watching. Uh, write me a review and tell me what shows you're watching right now. So maybe we can talk about those in the future. But uh, that's gonna do it here for episode one of the Valley of the Suns podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Please make sure to subscribe and uh, have a great rest of your day.